0: Teleplasmic
1: shit. Hey everyone, welcome back to Underrated, a podcast where we discuss underrated films or ones that have slipped under the radar or passed most people by. Uh, I am one of your co-hosts, Derek McDuff, and with me as always are Ariel Ortiz. Hello. Alan Torres.
0: Hey everybody, what's going on?
1: And we have a special guest joining us from podcast like it's 1999, the creator of Fox's Sleepy Hollow, Phil Iscoff. How's it going, Phil? Thank you so much for joining us.
2: Guys, I appreciate it. It's nice to be here.
1: Yeah, yeah we're really, really glad to have you. Um, so the film we're going to be talking about today is 1996's The Frighteners, um, which was directed by Peter Jackson. I believe it was the last film he did for uh, Lord of the Rings, uh, directed by him and co- co-written by him along with his uh, partner, Fran Walsh, uh, starring, of course, Michael J. Fox and an ensemble of really great character actors from the 90s. Um, but yeah, this is kind of a horror, comedy, drama, supernatural thriller. It's a lot of stuff. It's um, you the know, perfect
3: it, mix. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: it, it's kind of a perfect kind of cult classic, um, but, uh, you know, very 90s cult movie. But Phil was the one who suggested this to us. Uh, I know it's a big favorite of Alan and Ariel's uh, as well. But Phil, uh, I want to kick it to you first. You're the guest, so you get to go first. Uh, tell us why you chose this movie and why you like it so much.
2: Well, I mean, it, truthfully, you know, it, it's, it's, it's kind of funny because there's a confluence of things going on in my life right now in the sense that I'm... Uh, I'm for a project um, that uh, was inspired in a lot of ways by this film. Um, it's a it's kind of a goth Buffy is the best way to kind of describe it, I guess for for NBC that I'm doing with uh, with Justin Lin's company. And um, so I, I, I wanted to rewatch this film. I'd seen it, you know, a few years ago, um, and I, I, I've always loved it. I, I think that it is sort of a um, as as is your podcast uh, underrated and underseen. I think it's a film that, that a lot of people um, probably don't really know about. It didn't do very well in 96. Unfortunately Universal sort of uh, overshot with this and put it out in the summer when they should have put it out in October. Uh, they thought they bigger hit on their hands than it turns out that they did um if this film came out in October I think that this film probably would have done uh, at least a third as well as it as it did but I also feel like it's sort of an atypical Michael J Fox performance as well in a lot of ways I don't think that people sort of think of him like this um it's a pretty dark performance he's not really kind of um playing or leaning into the 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 Michael Fox isms as much in this in this film. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of things that I love about it. It's also funny because I've been rewatching Sam Raimi's films for uh, the Blank Check podcast, which I'm a big fan of. Um, and watching Evil Dead and this, uh, it's hard not to see uh, a little bit of a, a mirroring going on there, to say the least. Uh, this has a very Absolutely. Sam Raimi kind of vibe. I think the entire film is shot with a wide angle, oh, yeah. so the whole thing is like fish-eyed and crazy, and the camera's constantly moving, and um, it It's it's just a really sort of um, dynamic film. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, I I just I also think that I've been listening to the score a lot. It's a score that you can't find anywhere. I had to buy the the CD uh, used on eBay for $40. Um, (laughs) But it is one of my favorite Danny Elfman scores as well. Um, He was a fan of I think meet the feebles and uh, heavenly creatures and just said that he would do whatever Peter Jackson was doing sight unseen next. And obviously it was a, a good marriage, but uh, yeah, I mean, there's just, it, it's, I think it's a really fun kind of fucked up weird movie. We'll talk about obviously some of the specific moments that I think on this watch certainly jumped out at me and sort of maybe explained why this film didn't <laughs> make much of a a, a, a hit at the box office, but.
1: Yeah, cause it it did. Yeah, you know, I was just looking at how much it made, and it mo- only made about three million dollars more than the budget. And I didn't know that it was, you know, that much of a like almost a bomb, I guess. Um, and it, it's always been one of those movies that's been kind of on the periphery for me. Um, it I remember vaguely watching it on like Comedy Central, like late night one time. Like I was like, oh yeah, like I, the premise intrigued me so much. Of like. It's a movie where Michael J. Fox is can see ghosts, and he just uses that to be like a shady con man. And I, I thought that was really interesting. But I don't let me kick it to I don't know, Ariel or Alan, whichever you guys want to take, because you guys I think have a lot more history with the movie than I do.
3: Yeah, yeah, I I would mind. Um, yeah, for me, it, this was actually I think one of my first memories of Michael J. Fox is um you know seeing him in in anything. And so, for me, this was, like, the epitome of of, my, of Michael J. Fox. And um, I just enjoyed the hell out of this movie. Uh, I got introduced to it by by my parents. I, I don't think we – we might have seen it in theaters, but I don't remember it until, like, we watched – we rented it and watched it. And um, it's just such I, – I still, to this day, enjoy, enjoy the heck out of this movie. And, like, I – enjoy all the character actors um this was the first time that i caught on oh this is like a peter jackson um film and stuff like that and then then he get he's plays like one of the background actors and in, in one of the scenes he's the man with the piercings that michael j fox like bumps into before he gets hit by the hearst um and uh and then yeah, so cameo since
1: Hitchcock. i think he's got
3: yeah yeah and uh, yeah yeah and um and then, and then, so it was also very interesting of like, oh, so that's why Sean Astin like is in, in Lord of the Rings. That might be one of the reasons why Sean Astin like is Samwise because, you know, his father, um, John Astin, I, AKA um, the OG Gomez Adams is, is in this movie uh, yes, as sure, well. sure, sure, sure. uh <laughs> Yeah. And, um, I just always have like found it so interesting of like the ghosts and, and his interactions with them and then yeah he is a con man but then at the same like at the same time he's like doing this because he's so guilt ridden because of his wife and then and then how his mind got essentially blocked from that memory and all he remembers is just like that her his wife got like a number carved into his Thing. And then it, you get to see, yeah, further and further. Like he he has like a lot more abilities than than you initially thought. Like yes, he could talk to goats, but then he also has like premonitions towards the end. And and um, the twists was always like pretty interesting with with uh the how the girl is was an accomplice because like you have that whole end beginning scene of her being chased by this by. This um, what what they think is the ghost of death, but ends up being um, Johnny Bartlett and uh, the serial killer, and so you as a, as a viewer very much believe this story until like the switch happens, and you do believe that that the mother actually had something to do with it, or like you know, covered up something, and and um, and then you have that twist of of the, you know, the daughter essentially like still carrying on this. This relationship and essentially bringing her her ex uh, or her dead boyfriend back from the grave because of all, all these all the the murder started up back up it, five years ago when she was released and I guess brought him back with the Ouija board I mean I, I think that
2: some of it is you know the casting of D Wallace who is someone <laughs> obviously you know plays the mom in ET and you know Peter Jackson talked a lot about how uh, in Testing was. You don't really suspect it. You don't expect mm-hmm. her to be um, associated with these murders, and it's 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 a nice shoot up at the end.
3: Uh huh. Yeah. And then um, mm-hmm. Jake Jake Busey just like like you know like really much like getting the craziness from his from his father, and using. Has there to ever his been advantage? a serial
1: killer cast so well as Jake oh, Busey yeah. in this movie? Like I, I he could be playing any part, and I'm like, this guy's definitely killed some people.
3: Yeah, yeah,
2: he's Uh, he's he's in contact, I believe, the previous summer, or maybe it might have even been the next summer. It's like it's very close, and I'm just Mm -hmm. like he really had like a lane for a second there, where he was just like Mm -hmm. the go to kind of lunatic, and then for whatever reason, (laughs) and then like Starship Troopers in a bunch of stuff around that time, and then he just kind of disappears.
3: Yeah. No, he still plays the loon really well. Like, the most notable, like, recently was a uh, Rooster Teeth production called Day Five. That he would, he would, like, knock that out of the park. Is just, like, this, um, sleep deprived, like, crazy ass, like, uh, um, soldier and stuff like that. But yeah, he, the, the Buseys, they just, like, I, I don't think Jake Busey is actually crazy, but he, he, he does it very well. <laughs> like, um, uh but yeah and it, it, it's such a i love the the like this relationship that that kind of like gets formed between michael j fox's character and then the doctor and and how uh it, it you know it's very natural and gradual and and even though like this movie is kind of short it, it does i think actually take place over the course of like a few weeks at least or a few or at least like a, a couple months and 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 stuff and um and then yeah like going back to that you have all these awesome character actors with like john Aston and then um the the what i know specifically as just gunny like he's the he's always the gunny sergeant uh oh arlie Emmer. yeah mm-hmm. yeah arlie uh, yeah um and then and then Che mcbride is awesome in it and like and i just love that that friendship that that Uh, michael j fox has with these with these ghosts and how like you know they know that they're being used in a way and like they want to be better and he's like well guys like you're dead like what else can i can't do much for you (laughs) and like all this bickering and and stuff and yeah i've i've always loved this movie and um yeah that's why like i don't understand why because for me like i thought it was popular because like i got introduced to it as a kid so so to know that it was you know not as well received and then of course like it I guess fell into the same kind of hitch as hocus pocus unfortunately where it got released as a summer movie where it definitely should have been released as a halloween movie so mm-hmm. which is why why the 90s 90s didn't know how to market <laughs> things sometimes
2: <laughs> ultimately it was I I think it was a mixture of a couple things. Zemeckis produced this film, so you know, I I, and he's he's you know probably at the top of his game at this point. It's you know it's post um, Forrest Gump. It's right before Contact, and and I just feel as though Universal must thought, well, we've got we got a Zemeckis hit on our hands here. Um, But this movie is just much more specific. It's it's you know Peter Jackson's voice is very different from robert zemeckis is like they don't really speak to each other um you know what i mean so there's 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 kind of a weird sort of i think universal just getting over their skis and thinking they had they had a bigger hit than they did but
1: anyway yeah but like zemeckis and michael j fox we've made a lot of money on these guys before let's do it again
2: right right exactly yeah
1: like as soon i didn't know he produced it as soon as i saw that i was like okay that explains a lot like that that makes Mm -hmm. a lot of sense
0: but uh, yeah, if I can uh, mm-hmm. jump in. Um, I definitely dug this movie a lot. I loved it. No love for, for the reanimator himself, Jeffrey Combs. I know he was an absolute creep in this movie, but you got to love him, man. He, he's great. I love reanimator. So seeing him in this is always a pleasure. Yeah. And uh, funny enough, the first time I saw this was in the 90s, obviously. And it was on Fox. At the, I remember Fox would always show movies like Thursday nights or something. And, mm-hmm. and I remember they showed it. And, which uh, I saw. I'm another big fan of uh, Sleepy Hollow as well. That I also saw on Fox. So big ups to that. Thank you for that. It was you, you. Wonderful. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I I, I kind of got introduced to a lot of horror in, in the '90s because of Fox, and they would do that like Thursday night showing, and that's how I got to see Scream and Scream Two, and Frighteners was what another one of my biggest uh, things that I'd, like they would replay, and I would love. But yeah, yeah like
3: coming I, off of like X Files, and they like, just they just rode that wave
0: you know, from mm-hmm. X-Files. I think, too, it was like they just didn't have anything. They're like, oh, well, Ally McBeal, That their season's <laughs> over, let's throw something else on. So, uh, yeah, so I definitely love it. I definitely loved it, and um, the story's fun. I, I I really dug, like, the whole Con Man Exorcist thing, and, and I was, in the 90s, I would just rewatch Back to the Future religiously, the, the trilogy, so that was always a, a pleasure to watch. Uh, Michael J. Fox, but I actually was terrified of this movie growing up. Like,
3: mm-hmm. oh uh,
0: yeah, J- you know Josh Homme. I mean Jake Busey. Another thing, I always thought that Josh Homme from uh, Queens of the Stone Age was um, uh, Jake Busey's character. I have no idea why. And then <laughs> you were saying that he was like he was the Starship Troopers, and he kind of disappeared. And then as a kid, I was just like. Well, he went to go do Queens of the Stone Age, so <laughs> makes sense. That's why. <laughs> so for like until like the two thousands, I was like, oh, they're different people. Oh, okay, that makes a lot more sense.
3: Yeah, I was scared too. Like the thing that the scene that always scared me as a kid was the reveal of of uh, that this is Johnny Bartley with like goop, and then the face like that gets slapped, and it, his face like changes and stuff like that. Yeah.
0: Oh yeah, that me too. That that was my that, the scene that freaked me out. I like absolutely had nightmares. Like I'd hide behind like the couch, like every time it pop up, I was like, oh fuck. And then just his big Grim Reaper visage is like terrifying. Like especially when he's like jumping across like rooftops and and it just like freaked me out because I would look out the window and I'm like, oh my god, is he out there like ready to like <laughs> choke my heart out? And um, yeah, and I I'm, it is I a love that movie. It oh yeah. yeah, yeah.
2: I mean <laughs> it 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 certainly it is interesting too because it does feel like you know Peter Jackson did much much more upsetting movies previous to this right I mean Meet the Feebles, Heavenly Creatures his earlier stuff is much more sort of raw and and horrific so like it's clear that he's trying this is him trying to make like an accessible studio movie at the same time it's also like there's just imagery in it that is very haunting It, it definitely stays with you
0: Little, yeah. And then I mean, didn't he also do um, Brain Dead, Dead Alive as well?
2: Yeah,
0: which yep. is yep. just fucking bonkers. So there's that. If anybody hasn't seen it, go out check it out. It's it's a lot. Probably one of the goriest films of all time. But yeah, no, definitely yeah. it's super super haunting, man. Uh, um, yeah, and I kind of I'm a, I'm a big true crime guy, so I'm kind of a sucker for serial killers. So I'm just like, yep, makes sense. Bring them back. They want to finish the job. They want to keep going. So Uh, Yeah, definitely. I I love that big twist, too, that they were together. And then now, over time, kind of learning it, I'm like, yep, makes sense. There's always accomplices, and there's always something there uh, that a lot of people don't know that, yeah, some serial killers have that accomplice. And it's always like, you know, I I like how Jeffrey Combs' character brings it up with, like, Charles Manson and the family. I feel like that was a little bit of a foreshadowing, too, to be like, hey, like, there's something else along the way. That you're like oh you know Charles Manson didn't do everything all himself it was you know he had his whole family the the family and then this that was a little kind of way of telling the 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 audience like hey you know it's not completely just this Grim Reaper guy so kind of keep an eye out but yeah man definitely a lot of fun it was awesome and then just like you say a, a lot of samurai influence um, that with the shots there was a shot where Michael J Fox is in the prison cell. And Jeffrey Combs is talking and like all the, the funny camera angles are in Jeffrey, Jeffrey Combs. And then Michael J. Fox's uh, camera angles are just so strict and like just kind of not moving. Just to kind of show you the big difference of it, which I really dug a lot. And then miniatures, practical effects, big sucker for. Especially when it's zooming down very uh, Sam Raimi when like the arrow's coming at you or something like a, like a weapon or something. A lot of fun, but Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, well, you bring up, like, that it's very Ramey-esque, and I feel like there's a lot of influences that you can see with kind of, like, quote-unquote, like, classic horror, classic... Even, like, proto-slashers and stuff like that that pop up in this. Like, obviously, there's a lot of homages to Psycho being in, like, the house with the the mom, and like, oh, the mom is crazy and stuff. And then there's clearly... There's, like, even the letterbox... The picture that's on Letterbox is, like, the Michael J. Fox looking through the door exactly like The Shining. And it just feels like... Peter Jackson, kind of like Sam Raimi, they had very similar career arcs where they ha- they started off being these kind of low-budget guys making these kind of, like, grimy horror movies that were, like, cult hits, like, you know, that would, you know, get passed around. Like, oh, my God, have you seen Evil Dead? Have you seen, you know, Dead Alive? Have you, like, get passed around? And then, in the very early 2000s, they both had huge success with big, big studio trilogies. And it's interesting to see, you know, kind of now... Peter Jackson is still kind of, you know, one of those big guys, but Sam Raimi, he's kind of, like, gone away from that. You know, he doesn't do a lot of stuff anymore. To date um,
3: now. To date, to date today. today yeah. yeah, to date today, he movie. has combined both both of his talents. And, That's uh, true. That's and true. it took w- me two hours to get those tickets. <laughs> so, <laughs> 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 I think uh...
2: definitely... I mean, I think that uh, Drag Me to Hell was you know, mm. obviously a script he'd been working on for a really long time, and and uh, I think a lot of that, which I absolutely love, and didn't get the love that it deserved in 09. Um, which is why didn't we do covered that it. that well in theaters. I think that people just didn't really know what to do with it. Um, I, I think it's a fantastic movie, and I'm listen, I'm excited to see what he does with Doctor Strange. I'm excited that he's back in He's making movies. Like I don't really care necessarily what it is. I'm just excited to see what he has to do. Peter Jackson, on the other hand, I mean, I just you know, he got he kinda got unfortunately pulled back mm-hmm. into the the Hobbit movies, which, you know, if mm-hmm. if any uh, legitimacy to you know to the stuff you've read he didn't really want to do them i mean it was it was really almost a contractual obligation at a certain point you know when dotoro pulled out of them it sort of kind of landed in his lap and it's not that they're terrible movies by any stretch of the imagination but it does feel like you're sort of like this guy doesn't want to do six of these like he's just Mm -hmm. um so I, i do wonder whether or not um and then with the lovely bones not being very good it does feel like he's kind of lost the thread a little bit unfortunately
1: yeah, yeah, I think like he just kind of likes it. wants to make documentaries now. Like, you know, people love like, the Beatles one. He did that World War One one that yeah. I, I didn't see either. But, like, you know, I think he's just kind of like, all right, well, I have been so bogged down. I think, you know, these guys who have, like, struggle for years and then they get this big success, and then they're kind of like, oh, I just kind of have to do this now. They're like, okay, like, they need, maybe need a break for a little bit. And I think that's why Raimi took a little bit off, went back, did his Dragon to Hell, Peter Jackson is doing his docs now Um, and you you can see it. And I, and I think you bring um, up an interesting point.
2: No, what were you going to say, Phil? I was just going to say he did produce mortal engines and I think he kind of shadow directed a lot of that as well, Um, which I kind of of
1: love. Honestly, I
2: did too. I kind of, I'll kind of ride for mortal engines, quite frankly. Um, Hmm. I kind of, I kind of dug that movie quite often, but yeah, it it does feel as though uh, I, it's funny. What, this film the other day, I did find myself just really wishing that Peter Jackson, like when the Lovely Bones was announced, I was like, oh, wow, like this is him going back to his heavenly mm. creatures, right? Like this is him going back to sort of like you know, his his kind of obsession with like the ideas of heaven and hell and what an afterlife looks like and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, oh, cool. But unfortunately, like Lovely Bones, after you've been making Lord of the Rings movies, like I think he just, I'm not sure Peter Jackson can go back to being a small million filmmaker anymore.
1: Yeah. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And then he had, you know, between those two, he also had King Kong, which is like, I think there's a really good two-hour movie in King Kong. Um, It's just, God, that's a long movie.
0: Like... Oh, yeah.
1: And I feel the same way about the Hobbit films. I'm like, if that was, like, one movie or even two, I think that the Hobbit movies would be pretty solid, but, like, when you have that whole, like, the last 30 minutes of the second one are just, like, a Benny Hill sketch. I'm just like, I I can't. uh, So... You know, I feel like he's just maybe just reigned back a little bit. You know, just a little bit of just like just you know overindulgence and it's. Well, I, I think, think that the... was
3: more so the the, um, studios part. Like very much so, like the, the stu- movie studios back then. A well, role in that in that time when it was trilogy after trilogy of books after books. Um, they kind of wanted to pull it out and. The only one, yeah, because it was shot as
1: two it was shot as two films and yeah, they were like oh, on a you make a third one.
3: Yeah. Oh. Well, I, I even then I would argue like to do it one because like source material wise it fits as one story and and I think that's why the Lord of the Rings ones are so masterpieces because essentially uh the majority of the elements in in there are from the books and, and it's had to be like removing things to make it work whereas like the hobbits was adding things but yeah i think peter jackson hopefully like will will be able to like kind of regain his his desire and or his passion i don't know if i, I would hope it's still there somewhere because yeah he is an incredible um filmmaker and, and storyteller As like this you know him co-writing, co-writing The Frighteners here, and, and, um, it is something that, that very well missed, and I really do hope that, you know, he can come up with, because I, I don't agree, I think he, he could create an indie film, and I think that might be the best thing for him, because, like, uh, you know, indie films allow a lot of creativity, um, and, and I think, hopefully, with his, big you know his good status with with coming out of um the Lord of the rings which will probably last his whole year his whole career um he has that ability to to kind of make those small small movies as well and i think that's something that that we're seeing in recent years of 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 you know big time directors probably like taking a step back and having that ability like i know that in um the last episode we recorded we kind of like discussed about how netflix and and apple tv and and all these other streaming services kind of um backing these t- these movies kind of like allowing for a little bit more of a creative freedom and and a place to kind of like place these like passion projects from all these uh, different filmmakers and writers so so i think i think um i would hope that he you know comes back with something like that and and um,
2: yeah. You know, I don't think that Peter Jackson has a lack of freedom. I mean, I think he can kind of do whatever he wants. I think the question is more about whether or not he's able to do something smaller. And I don't even mean necessarily uh, budget-wise, but just in terms of like what I film. One of the many things I love about the film is that it's really just pretty clean. It's it's mm-hmm. it's not um complicated for the most part it's a it's a pretty straight uh um, storyline and uh just delineated really well it's an hour 45 it's not particularly long um it's just a really tight well-oiled story um you know it's just it's a spooky story it's a fairy tale kind of thing and and, and he's very very good at that um you know and and i, I just wonder i mean Peter Jackson can clearly do whatever the hell he wants. And I and I think <laughs> yeah. that, um, you know, he, he hasn't made a film, I mean, a, a narrative film in a while. Um, you know, I think the last one was Hobbit films, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. I think that those were the last yeah. time that yeah, he's so. done a narrative film. Um, I, I, I I really believe that the guy doesn't have a bunch of other things that he'd love to do, passion projects, books, whatever the case might be. Um, and, and I hope that he finds his fastball again, because there was kind of no one like him when he was doing what he was doing. Um, you know, and 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 if, and if like you were saying, Derek, you know, he needs to uh, replenish, you know, revitalize whatever it is by doing documentaries or, you know, figuring out what it is that he wants to be saying. I'm excited to see whatever he has to do. But in terms of this particular film, you know, and, and, and you know, I, I, watching it again, a bunch of things kind of hit me. The first is, um, I don't know if you guys know, but it was supposed to be a, a part of an anthology of uh, horror films that mm. Zemeckis was doing for, I believe it was Showtime at the time, Tales from the Crypt. Um, so it was going to be an episode of Tales of the Crypt. Ooh. Um, and then when he read the script for it, he's like, this is ultimately too good to be just an episode of Tales of the Crypt. We should do this as a film. But Zemeckis at that point had seen Heavenly Creatures and that sort of was the moment. Heavenly Creatures is a masterpiece. If you haven't seen Heavenly Creatures, everyone should go out and watch it right now, especially with Melanie Linsky killing it on Yellow Jackets. Everyone should be watching everything that Melanie Linsky does. Um, Her last name being said a million times in this film because um uh what's her name uh the the main character's last name is linsky so they say they say like doctor linsky a million times but um <laughs> it, it's 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 just interesting to see how zemeckis smartly from a producerial perspective seeing that there was just more to do with this and that this 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 story deserved to be given more money and then you know you mentioned the uh grim reaper and those special effects which at the time were groundbreaking special effects which hold up pretty well, all things mm-hmm. considered. I mean, mm-hmm. 96 was a long time ago, but when that Grim Reaper comes out of the mirror in the bathroom, it looked fucking awesome. Like, it still mm-hmm. looks really, really <laughs> cool. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so and, and that mixture of practical and special effects, I mean, Weta, this was basically one of Weta's first things that they did, oh. which is, you know, um, obviously, your Jackson's special effects house. Um, it, it's, it really is sort of a groundbreaking movie, I feel like a lot of people haven't seen it. I think that I think that it's just kind of this weird little movie that kind of exists. Um, But I think that I I really do feel like. tone of this movie is bizarre, like it's really trying to be a comedy and I mean, in a ways it is doing kind of what Evil Dead did a little bit. It's not as gory as Evil Dead, but like Evil Dead 2 is trying to be kind of like cartoonishly playful while at the same time being a horror movie. This movie has like element in it which feels a little beetle juicy which i obviously if you don't love Beetlejuice, i don't know what to tell you but whatever <laughs> but um I, I think it's i think it's a masterpiece but um i, I think that the ghosts in this have this really interesting I'm not really sure i understand the rules necessarily of how they interact with our world and their world I'm not really sure i understand why like Popped up into pieces or there's like all kinds of weird shit going on. They like, like, they kind of feel like a Looney Tunes characters in the sense that like they can have all this weird shit happen to them and they can also interact with our world. But all that being said, um I think it all looks great. I think that the um there are some jokes that I think in hindsight I might not have put in this movie. I mean, yes. really <laughs> yeah. I mean. Like the, the judge having sex with the yeah. with the thing in the sarcophagus. And yeah, I was like, I is like it necrophilia
1: they... if they're both
3: dead? Uh, yeah, well, yeah, but it, it's still... or the
1: line that he says,
3: I like yeah. when they, like, still, I mean, they like, that, where I'm just like, yeah. oh, yeah, okay. that was yeah,
1: that was gross. Also, did There's you know that the like judge that. isn't in heaven at the end? And I was like, is that the reason?
3: Probably. I, Why doesn't I, yeah. the judge go to heaven? It's probably because I He was the hanging judge. He's not going to heaven. He just, like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's why he is very it, a very much a morally gray character <laughs> yeah. sorry to even derail you there <laughs> yeah sorry
2: and the effects are great like i love the makeup effects that he has as a ghost with like his jawbone coming out of his mouth like all this kind of stuff where it's like it's really and this movie was rated r which peter mm-hmm. jackson still mm-hmm. to this day is like i don't know why this one was rated. like it really you don't see very much like it's not a particularly gory film really i think it was just the overall vibe of it was just the MPA was just like, this is too intense and there's too much going on and we don't know how to deal with all of this, but mm. I mean, I guess it is. I mean, Ger at the sanatorium no, is pretty fucked up.
3: Yeah, <laughs> I mean, definitely in this day and age, it would it would hit a PG-13. Like, it, it takes right? a lot to do a variety things. I'm really surprised, movie, but, honestly,
1: that I did yeah, not know then, that. That's surprising. Yeah. Me.
3: Yeah, and then even even if it was, ra- like, back then in the 90s, like, to me being a child, like, you know, in the 90s and stuff, um, definitely there was a lot of big more stigma towards R-rated movies. And, yeah, that's very much surprising that my parents allowed me to watch it, which some R-rated movies, like, slipped through the cracks with my family, but but yeah that i know that definitely in the 90s there was a very bigger stigma towards r rated movies as now you know this day and age like you know disney is on the disney with disney plus is on the customs like allowing r rated movies on their disney platform and it's like essentially yeah leaving it up to the to the parents um which it should be um but yeah that probably is another reason why it kind of didn't get as much res- like reception is, as it should have.
2: Yeah, I I do I think the R rating um definitely hurt its box office. I think again, an R-rated film coming out at Halloween has a better shot of people going out to see it. An R rated film coming out in I think this would movie in July, if I'm not mistaken, uh it is just sort of like what are we doing right now? It's uh it's it, it was a choice, uh to say the least. I'm sure Universal if they could do it again
0: I wouldn't yes. <laughs> and what really cracks me up about it is that this movie, yeah, it didn't really deserve, like, I felt like it could have been a hard PG-13, and then I like that the next year, we get Spawn, which is a big horror comic book adaptation, and you think, okay, that movie definitely needs to be rated R. And they're like, no, let's bring it down to PG-13. And it's like, why do you want that? And even then, there's so many scenes with, like, uh, Violator just absolutely terrifying, and I was like, this should be rated R. Like, just go full ham. Like, yeah.
2: It's interesting, too, because, like, I mean, the, the, the R-rated blockbuster, for all intents and purposes, is a pretty small list. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, more times than not, studios are convinced that it's not worth going down that road unless they have to. I mean, the Matrix, obviously, in the late 90s and the early 2000s was was a big deal. And then, obviously, you know, you look at uh, um, Deadpool recently, And although now the third one's going to be PG-13. So, you know, uh, it's, it's anyone's guess, really. I mean, I, I think that... Um, it's, you know, listen, it's, it, I. this is a risk-adverse industry. I understand that it's a lot of money spent on these projects and to release something in theaters, especially, you know, we were talking earlier about the streaming thing and the whole theatrical experience is incredibly expensive. To market a film and release it in theaters, people don't realize just how expensive an endeavor that is. So now with streaming being an option, I think you're going to see the riskier materials most likely heading towards streaming um, and the safer bets, you know, going on... Uh,
1: in theater yeah well it's funny because it just reminds you know you guys talking about like how oh like you know the r-rated movies especially in the 90s were such a big risk and you didn't really have a lot of other than keanu reeves movies um rated r big blockbusters and it just kind of reminds me of i was definitely you know not allowed to see rated r movies um in the early 90s when i was pretty young my parents were very very overprotective and so i remember uh, speaking of Keanu Reeves, I was not allowed to see Speed, because ha- it was rated R. However, Speed 2 was rated PG-13. So I got to watch Speed 2 and Willem Dafoe and The Boat. And I was like, people were like, oh, this is nowhere near as good as the first one. For me, though, the only movie I'd seen of the Speed franchise was Speed 2. And I was like, what do you talk about? This movie's, this movie's kick-ass. Like, I love Speed 2. But, yeah, so I get... That
2: movie is not kick-ass. No, no, it's
1: definitely not. I haven't seen it since probably, you know, 1995 or whatever. Um, but... yeah. Even Sandra Bullock shits on that <laughs> <movie. Yeah>. Yep, <laughs> my, my tastes are a little so. more refined now, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it is it, it is interesting. You know, watching this
2: film the other day, I was thinking about whether or not this film would get made today. I mean, listen, if Peter Jackson wanted to make this film today, this movie gets made for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of, you the budget for this film back in in 96 forgive me i think was in the what was it in the 60s or 70s of not mistaken? Oh, I, I think it was or only like 25
1: million for the budget okay so there
2: you.
1: in 96 that that would be yeah. 60 million
2: mm-hmm. today basically so you know to give someone 60 million dollars today i mean the only that are kind of doing that are your are your a24s um, mm. you know what I mean? Like looking at the Northman, which comes out you know on the 22nd, and Robert Iger's being given ninety million dollars to make a crazy Viking movie is fucking rad. <laughs> um, and I'm I'm excited to see it. But um, you know, it's kind of the only people that are doing it is you know, giving that kind of money to auteurs. Um, so I guess we should just be lucky that anybody's doing it. Mm-hmm. But it is, you know, it's that's their lane, yeah. right? I mean, A twenty four has decided that they're gonna be the place where auteurs going to make of weird that <laughs> they might make, make
1: money yeah them, them and netflix i feel like are like the only mid-budget games in town like everything else is just like like x where it's like a couple million dollars or it's just like you know doctor strange 2 where it's hundreds of millions of dollars and that and i've said it before on the podcast but that like 60 to 100 million dollar movie is kind of just vanishing at this point
0: Hmm
2: yeah i don't disagree i do wonder i mean i've talked about this on our podcast a little bit too but you know i, I do feel like um i'm a little surprised that we haven't seen tiered pricing at this stage uh, i'm a little surprised that a movie that you know for instance only costs you know 20 30 million dollars you know the ticket to that movie could conceivably be less money right and if that movie if that ticket is cheaper more people might go and see that film um you know if a movie costs 200 million dollars it's not completely unreasonable for that ticket to cost a little bit more money. So I I just wonder why we haven't seen, you know, movie theater chains figuring out ways to do that. That's not to say that, you know, as we move forward now with Netflix buying movie theaters, uh, with Amazon buying movie theaters, with uh you know, with the monopoly of these movie theater chains going away and studios being able to do this, um, we could conceivably see a sea change in terms of the way that people see movies and, and that's not a bad thing.
1: Well allegedly yeah. I so, I heard, heard that um uh well not even allegedly like it's been confirmed that AMC was doing that with the Batman and um Spider Man. So like that came out I don't know a month yeah. ago or something.
2: No, you're absolutely right. It, it it's it's definitely on the table. Now. Yeah. So I'm a little I'm I'm wondering how much farther we go with it. I don't necessarily think it's the worst thing in the world. We did an, uh we did an episode on our podcast um, where we covered every issue of Premiere Magazine from 1999, and there was the the first issue, the Millennium issue, was all with there were interviews with George Lucas and James Cameron, and both of them were talking about ticket prices, mm-hmm. and they were talking about how more expensive movies should be more expensive to see. And this idea of now, again, of course, Lucas and fucking James Cameron think that people should have to pay more money to see their That's <laughs> a surprise. But, but I do think that there is something to be said for, um, for looking, you know, we, we have this sort of myopic perspective when it comes to all movies are kind of clumped together and not all movies are built alike. So Maybe we should be finding new ways to find you know, audiences for movies that that deserve them. Um, it's unfortunate that we still live in this world where you know, I need to tell you guys, I'm sure you guys you know paying attention to box office in twenty twenty one. And it was a it was a very strange time right? where you had these movies that were being claimed as dead on arrival. Um, and you're just like, well, is it though? There's so many ways for movies to make money for people to see these movies. Now, we really can't just base it on an opening weekend in movie theaters. Like, it's just that that that's a very narrow way of looking at
3: at this industry. Yeah, I mean, if Morbius could be number one at the box office. T- <laughs> 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 yeah, no, it should be telling like, you shouldn't base it off of opening weekend, you should base it off of overall um, but but then well, and then we... too
1: just like streaming stuff because especially when you have like you know something like Black Widow and that came out and day and date on Disney Plus paying 30 bucks for it and that was why that whole Scarlett Johansson lawsuit happened is because okay like this movie looks like it didn't make a lot of money at the theaters but it's also driving A subscriptions and B actual purchases on Disney Plus that you do have to like you said Phil think about these things in a much different way
3: yeah
1: when I think that I, I also think that you have to sort of and you're 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 making a very valid point in
2: terms of the contracts that we that we make with the various you know entities and talent involved in these films, right? And we and these things need to be baked into the numbers now, right? Like the 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 precedent that that Scarlett Johansson rightfully set with that specific, um, I don't even know if it got to a lawsuit. Maybe it did. I, I, they resolved it. All things, whatever. Mm-hmm. Point is, if you're now an actor, you have to be thinking about it's not just back end it's not just you know how much money i make in movie theaters or you know what have you I, they should be given a piece of of these profits in so many different ways it's just it's a business and 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 everybody should be seeing it as a business but it's also the commodification of creativity right it's still an art form and and i think that the second we lose sight of that um then we're really doomed yeah yeah, yeah.
3: And, and there's also um you know the usage and and i don't i know it's like a some limited accessibility to it and then us being um where, where we live in orange county we're kind of like blessed with it but with having these indie theaters as well like independent theaters like here in orange county we do have the frida theater um and they are the ones that like we essentially go to to see these like mid-tier as you can say um movies and and have that like tiered ticket sales as well because they are slightly lower of their price at at their ticket sales and and so i i would also hope that like utilizing independent film theaters would actually be a good way also to have this kind of tiered box office as you were saying because it would allow Mm to yeah and grow independent um film theaters which is like always a good thing
2: Absolutely. I mean, the, the Alamo, you know, theater chain is doing is doing mm-hmm. quite well. We're seeing that expanding across the across the country, which is great. You know, we we finally have one in Los Angeles that I frequent, you know, very often. Um, it's it's you know, I, I think that you know, the, the movie going experience, the theatrical experience, isn't going anywhere. It's still the cheapest date. It's still the thing to do on a weekend. It's it's still um it's it's not going anywhere the question becomes ultimately when do audiences if audiences uh get bored with franchises um you know what i mean are are, are they are they going to still be sticking around when marvel is on its 40th or 50th movie um are you know are people still going to be like yeah, yeah, yeah I, I can't wait to see what you know the the i don't even fucking i couldn't even tell you the characters names but my point is and i like the marvel movies just fine but you know once you get really deep down this rabbit hole at a certain point, like the repetition of it is just kind of impossible to get away from. And that's the problem with franchises, right? There's a reason why working in television, most TV shows seasons four or five are when people kind of start to tap out. Right. You've kind of told all the stories you can tell. Um, you've, you've, You've sort of exhausted all the best opportunities that you can. And there are people that stick around and watch Grey's Anatomy in season 15 and more power to them. That's that's great for all people involved, I guess. But that just feels like some sort of a don't know, mental disorder. But I'll just say <laughs> that I think that, like, at a certain point, you have to cut bait, right? And you have to change something. Um, and, and that's the question: whether or not we are saturating the market right now with so many franchises that we're we're getting to a tricky place. I mean, I think it's I think it's ironic we're talking about Peter Jackson right now, who ultimately pretty much broke new ground, right? I mean, the first fantasy film to ever win uh, Best Picture, to win a ton of Academy Awards, that, that 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 franchise was a game changer, right? And unfortunately, he didn't really kind of have another gear after that, or he didn't really show us what he wanted to do after that. Um, and he still kind of hasn't. Um, I'm not I'm not shitting on on the Hobbit movies or on Peter Jackson but I do think that there is something to be said for um how much he changed cinema and then kind of didn't know what to do with it once he changed
1: it yeah absolutely I think really the Lord of the Rings films are some of that and maybe like Batman Begins like that whole time period was like some of the most important films ever made with just the way that movies go and the way it was like okay like the Lord of the Rings became like an event you had to go to every year, you know? And then the same, you know, Harry Potter, the Harry Potter films Mm -hmm. at the same time kind Mm -hmm. of had that same Mm -hmm. effect. And now that's why, you know, they're like, okay, well, how are we going to replicate this with the Hobbit movies? It should just probably be one movie, but let's make it an event. And now it's like, okay, you got to go see the next one or the next one. And it just, you know, these things, that's why I love films and TV shows and things that have like a specific. end. that's why one of my favorite Marvel movies ever is Endgame because this is, an end to an arc of so many stories, even though obviously they're still making Marvel movies. It was kind of an end to what they were doing for ten or eleven years, or however many it was, you know.
2: For sure, I think there's also you know the other thing that that is is worth talking about for for you know, what it's worth. Uh, Peter Jackson did kind of fuck with frame rates. I mean, that <laughs> was the thing that he was trying to bring to the table for the Hobbit movies, which is you know the higher frame rate because our eyes can only see uh, a certain amount of frames per second, the films all of a sudden looked like a soap opera. Um, and I, I don't quite know why he decided that that was the hill that he wanted <laughs> to die on. Um, I don't I, I don't quite know why Aang uh, Lee tried to do it as well. Um, it, it, it does feel like a thing that these, and who knows what James Cameron's Avatar 2 will be released in, uh, if it will be released at the end uh, of this year.
3: <laughs> I can't get that
2: but i but i just think that there's there's something to be said for these when you break new ground and then you're just sort of like well now okay so i'm a trailblazer now what's the next what's the next thing and when the next thing isn't totally apparent and instead you're stuck watching 3d or high frame rates or whatever just make a good movie guys make a good story i don't i don't you know what i mean i'm not i'm just i'm not so concerned with these technical notions quite frankly but i you know I guess that some people are. yeah,
1: and it's it's interesting because you know we're talking about Zemeckis too and I think he really fell into that same trap like you know there's this okay. there's this video mm. essay by Patrick Willems that talks it's called like Pat or it's called um Robert Zemeckis and his magnificent toys and it's just kind of how he fell into this trap of like wow there's all these technical innovations I've been driving all these innovations and that's all that it's going to be like, where you have something like Mo- Welcome Marwin, which is like, what even is this movie? It's just like about how, or like um, the Polar Express or Beowulf. And it's you have all these like, like dead-eyed, like CGI, mocap people. And I think Peter Jackson definitely fell into that same thing where he, his early films, you know, all the way up to probably King Kong, and especially this one, he uses special effects when he needs to, but they all still have all these quote-unquote bigotures and. All the like practical effects, and then when it's like, oh, I can just use special effects for everything, so I'll or for anything, so I'll use them for everything. Like, look at an orc in The Lord of the Rings, then look at an orc in The Hobbit, and even though those movies are made 10 years later, the orcs in Lord of the Rings look so much better. And it's not to say that like the CGI was better because it's obviously in 2002 than it was in 2012, it's clearly better in 2012, but you when you blend them like that, you just use them. To fill in the cracks instead of just paint the whole painting, it works. It, it, it works so much better for cinema, you know.
2: I you make a really you make a really good point, and I, I think it's interesting because you know, listen, I think Polar Express, Beowulf, Christmas Carol, those movies suck. I mean, they're, they're, oh, they're horror shows. I like them, Um but, the, <laughs> but I but I do think that you have to give credit to the first person through the wall, right? That's the they get the bloodiest, right? They're the one that's like. I'm going to try this thing, um, and without Zemeckis breaking that ground, we probably don't get Avatar to some degree, or at least Avatar being as successful a mocap film as it was to some degree. Oh,
3: so I I could blame Robert Take Motion Robert Zemeckis for that.
2: I blame Robert, right? Like <laughs> I, I mean, look at look at uh, I mean, any of Andy Circus's, you know mocap performances, right? They're all tremendous performances. Mm-hmm. Um, you're you're able to do it. It's just you know, Zemeckis just didn't have the goods at the time, but I, I again, this is all just to say that I, I think that that Peter Jackson is a is a is a fascinating filmmaker. I think that that this film it, it sh- also should be said, and you said this up top, but like this was the last film he did before he does Lord of the Rings, right? So this comes out in '96. Lord of the Rings comes out in 2001. My assumption is they probably shot it sometime in late '99, early 2000 I think they when they started shooting. Started
1: them. in '98, and yeah, went '98
0: to 2000. Oh, yeah. okay,
2: so. But when you think about it, and then on top of all of that, right, you had false starts, you had the two Weinstein versions where they were getting backed by by that, by Harvey and Bob, and they were going to do two films instead of three. And like, there were all these kind of false starts before New Line goes all in on Lord of the Rings and lets him off the chain to do what he wants to do. So it's pretty amazing that he comes off of this film. And then he's like, I'm now going to do the <laughs> the biggest fantasy films that ever could possibly be right like it's just you gotta hand it to the guy like this movie is kind of a failure at the box office and his takeaway from it is time to sack
1: up and do the biggest thing that's ever been right he got movie. a blank I mean, check from this movie somehow I
3: mean, yeah. it also continues the trend that that we i guess you could say going back to peter jackson and and sam raimi kind of like started off but we do continue seeing it to some two degrees of success of of these horror like technically horror or like mystical like directors and writers kind of coming in and becoming and becoming and picking up these very big franchise or or big movies and just like doing incredible work on it like you know with Peter Jackson and and, mm-hmm. and Lord of the Rings Sam Raimi and and um and the Spider-Man movies then you have like a uh, the you know the one that that has done it now doing what well, we don't know about the Flash but, but, oh, yeah. but Jackson, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah but then also like you know like um James Wan or, 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 or all these other that started their their you know their careers in horror element James Gunn as well um and and then i don't know i i really do love i and i really want to understand more about how because it does work that formula of of like a kind of coming from this like low budget horror film genre and like kind of be i guess because like i think we've we mentioned it before like how horror doing a horror movie or or like this movie like the frighteners like lends itself to so much creativity that it makes the really great, you know, um, inspirations for for further work in that, that, um, director or writer's, um, you know, filmography later down the line. I think it's
0: for sure.
2: uh, I, it also.
0: Oh, Oh, no, sorry. I was just going to jump off of, uh, Ariel and you Phil, because you kind of said it earlier, Uh, you, you release like a massive uh, film, like uh, you you kind of, um, jump off, like Ariel was saying, a lot of directors start off in horror, and they, they kind of get very creative because the budget's so small. So you have to figure out a lot of things. And then you make these big franchise films like Lord of the Rings or the Rimey Spider-Man movies. After that, it's kind of how you were saying, like, what do you do next? You're a trailbla- trailblazer at this point. So I think when like James Cameron and um, Zemeckis and, and Peter Jackson, when they they, they say, well, what do I do next? I feel like maybe they go, I need to keep, raising the bar I need to like push the envelope I need to do something what nobody else is doing so I think that's why we get these weird Beowulfs and Polar Express or we get you know um just these strange like, oh like Ray, Ray, uh, Sam Raimi's uh Oz the, the Great and Powerful mm-hmm. that was just filled with CGI to the brim where, where you know even the Spider-Man films yeah. would have practical effects and CGI effects when needed just when Lord of the Rings did it as well miniatures and CGI when needed but i think they try they try to experiment and they try and go hey let me push the boundaries with this let me try and go as far as i can with like this new technology but i think sometimes it's it's one of those things you have all that power in your hand and, and you know you have a studio back in you so you kind of just go fuck it i'm just maybe they get a little lazy <laughs> honest to god i think sometimes you get a little you lazy. Know-
2: I think that, I think I agree with what you're saying. And I think it's worth sort of unpacking for a sec that, that like, you know, Peter Jackson does Heavenly Creatures in 94, that's a $5 million budget. He does the Frighteners, which comes out in 96, two years later, it's a $26 million budget. Um, And then you've got Lord of the Rings, which is a $100 million budget, all things considered kind of insane when you think about it. I mean, that that movie only cost a hundred million dollars is pretty crazy. They obviously split it amongst three films, shot them all at once and all that. But I do think that, something to be said for oh you know, he was finally given the keys to the kingdom a little bit right which is he was universal studios gave him 26 million dollars and said go make a studio picture and he goes and makes that movie it's a great movie and this is i think the moment when he's like i can fucking do this like i i think it's more about like i personally think it's it's a, there's a tactility to it there's some beautiful production design all that stuff in the the sanatorium at the end, all that set design is fucking great. It all feels very much like the cave uh, in the in fellowship to some degree. Uh, when they're fighting that that giant troll monster or whatever, like mm. it's all very kind of like monochromatic and mossy and very kind of like hazy green gray, what have you. Like you can see a lot of him, a lot of the the lessons he learned off of Frighteners and being like, I can take these lessons and apply this to something much much bigger and that's the type of mind that we all love when it comes to filmmaking which is someone that can think bigger and can think like anything's possible and the world's my oyster and look at what i can do now and i think the frighteners is interestingly kind of the skeleton key it's kind of the thing that opens that door for for jackson to some degree i'm speculating but it feels like this is the movie where he's like okay um i can do this and he figures, well, now, now or never, I guess I just should just back up and do the thing that I've been wanting to do my entire life, which is the Lord of the Rings. it's It's crazy that he does it. um, but I mean, God bless him for it, right? I mean, he just he the, 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 the fearlessness that's required to do something like that is 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 unbelievable. It's been an enormous disaster. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: And yeah, yeah, the faith that Newline had were like, okay, we're well, gonna give you this movie and give you it at a level that you've never had before, and we'll let you do three. Like, not just one or two, like the other studios had, but we'll let you do three movies, to the point where when, like, you know, Shyamalan, when he was trying to make, who was a very successful director at the time, when he made his last Airbender movie, I mean, they were like, you can make one, and they were right in doing that, because that movie is horrible. Um. So, But New Line, like, knew what they had with Peter Jackson. Mm-hmm it 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 should be said though because the, the person that that probably
2: doesn't get enough credit for Lord of the Rings is Bob Shea, who was running New Line at the time right mm-hmm. and bob Shea was a producer who did a bunch of he did Nightmare on Elm Street he did a bunch of horror movies he was a horror guy mm-hmm. um so for him peter jackson walking in the door and saying i want to make lord of the rings doesn't sound insane to him right like this this feels of a of a piece of you know his of his kind of headspace that movie, obviously, those movies are enormously successful. Kind of nothing he does after that, as as sort of you know the the person at New Line is as successful. But he's 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 a fascinating producer. He's a fascinating director and writer. And and you know it's 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 pretty amazing what Bob Shea was able to accomplish in a very short period of time. Um, but yeah, I mean it's it's again it's not sexy. Bob Shea is not the sexy <laughs> name. The sexy name is Peter yeah. Jackson, obviously. But I but I think that there's something. You know, the guy deserves
1: his due. Yeah, definitely. Well, guys, if I can real fast, we can pivot back to, because I know early on, Phil, you yeah. had mentioned some of the moments that you had wanted to talk about in the mo- uh, in the yeah. Frighteners. Um, did you, is there any particular moments that, like, stuck out to you that you really wanted to bring up? Yeah, I mean, I'm just, I'm
2: sort of looking at my notes mm. here real quick. But I, I I do think that there's a couple of things that jump out at me. You know, Um one of you guys, forgive me. I can't remember which one mentioned the interrogation scene. Um, I, I really love that scene between um, Milton and uh, what a name, Milton uh, Milton Dammers. Mm-hmm. I mean, just a and he name. is a look, looks um, like a Milton Dammers. <laughs> It does look <laughs> like a and it's it's a great scene, not just because of the the photography, um, you know, the the sort of crazy Dutch angles and all that kind of crazy photography mixed in with those locked off shots of of, of Michael J. Fox, but also Michael J. Fox is really really good in that mm-hmm. scene. Oh yeah, he looks old, he looks haggard, his he just he literally looks like he's been to hell and back. Um, you know, again, Michael J. Fox, after this movie, decides to basically quit movies, pivots back to television, does Spin City for a few years mm-hmm. before, uh, unfortunately, his Parkinson's became um, too difficult for him to to, to work consistently, but. It's a shame that we kind of lost him in movies. Mm-hmm. And it's a shame that he was kind of misused in the 80s and 90s in a lot of ways. Because I feel like people, I mean, Marty McFly is obviously so iconic, but it feels like he tried to do other stuff and does Casualties of War, the De Palma film. He tries to do Big Lights, Bright City. Like he tries to do things to show that he has chops and people just aren't interested in seeing that from him. So it was nice to see this interrogation scene really show him, you know, being a, a really superb actor. Um, Hilton revealing this crazy armor vest that he has under his under his yeah. shirt for reasons that still escape me. I think he thinks that's
1: going to protect mm-hmm. him from whatever creatures I Which, think. by the way, real fast, it has nipples like in the Schumacher Batman movies. Yeah. Did you notice that? Yeah. I noticed
0: yeah. Those, yeah. I yeah. Uh-huh. And then I was kind of th- thinking how strange it was that he goes... He brings up this um, case where he's like, Oh, this woman was able to kill somebody with their mind. And then he thinks that's what Frank, uh, Michael J. Fox's character is going to do. And then he brandishes the bulletproof vest or the lead vest. And I'm like, you just said he'll kill you with your mind. Well, I think what? that. You think I it's think a mind thinking, bullet or something? Yeah.
3: <laughs> no, yeah. I think it's like the lead will like protect him. But then it's like your mind. Like uh, Superman? Superman can see through lead? Yeah. yeah like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but also, like for me, um, one of the scenes that that stand out to me and I love is that scene in the the hospital at the end, and I think that Michael J. Fox just freaking acts that out so awesome, and um, and that whole like, yeah, the last fifteen minutes are my favorite part of the movie because of how. You know, tense it is, and that—that's where essentially like that another element of a horror movie, like you know, like this chase kind of happens, and and you're mm-hmm. being, and then him going in and out and of these premonition or like um, I guess premonition. Well, no premonitions before, but you know, the yeah, the yeah. past. It's so flashbacks, like flashbacks yeah. and him visions. There you go. Yeah, just visions of him seeing this and back and forth and like. He just, I just love him in that whole scene, and and um.
2: No, I, I I couldn't agree with you more. I love all that stuff. I think that the film, um, I, I think that that whole sequence chunk of the movie at the sanatorium at the end is fantastic. I think it's beautifully shot. I love all that sun drenched, weird flashback stuff. Those pop flashes, cross cutting back to. The massacre that was taken that took place years earlier um i love how it all folds into you know um frank's backstory with his wife and all that kind of stuff i think all that stuff is great what i kind of wish is that we didn't have to go to heaven yeah um yeah i, I, I the heaven stuff is so lovely bones to me where i'm just like dude you learned nothing from 96 like you gave us a whole movie of this you know in 2009 but uh, yeah, I just I, I, I get why they did it. I understand. Maybe it was a studio note. Who the hell knows. But I kind of wish that we went straight from the sanatorium to them at the picnic and just like cut out all the heaven stuff. I'm fine with and I really actually love the moment when um, uh, D Wallace and uh, Jake Busey. Are, I guess swallowed by a giant
1: worm-like yes. creature that takes yeah. them to hell. That's, oh that was what God. I was going to say because yeah. if you don't get the that heaven was, sequence, uh, yeah. you don't get like the ray of light turning into <laughs> Satan's butthole. Like it's so great. Cr- correct. Correct. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, I
2: I I agree. It's worth it. It's worth going to heaven for the for the hell thing. It's just it's just a little too treacly and sappy, and I, it just it kind of bums me out a little bit. Yeah. But. Yeah, I mean it is what it is. But all the stuff in the is fantastic. All the I, I, and and I just want to kind of uh, piggyback on what you guys were saying earlier about all that all of those beautiful high chopper shots flying over New Zealand. New Zealand are, you know, at this point isn't hasn't been in Lord of the Rings yet. So watching all this stuff in New Zealand, it has just this slightly weird fantasy kind of vibe to it where you're just like feels a little off. But, like, all these beautiful at-night chopper shots flying over this small town with this Grim Reaper jumping on fucking cars and rooftops <laughs> and just, like, cascading all over this. Like, it's just... It's great stuff. Mm-hmm. Stuff just, I think, is... That's the stuff that I think probably will stay with me the most, like, moving forward, as has for me, is just the dynamic way that he shoots all that stuff and then the way that he just doubles down on all of that in Lord of the Rings, right? Like, all that just crazy chopper shots mm-hmm. all over New Zealand. Um, this is just kind of the baby version of that, and it's it's just awesome.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I don't know, Alan, Ariel, any, any final thoughts?
3: No, I uh, think... No,
0: was, no, no,
3: no. I, think the, <laughs> the, I think the main thing that came out of this podcast is is for, you know, new directors or directors out there, just to, like... When you're at a peak, just take a step back, you know, re- re- reassess, <laughs> regain your, you know, Take we're fine with you taking a, a break or and stuff to just find your core again. Like, let's get, let's, let's get, you know, some spiritual, like, you know, find your, find your, <laughs> find your, your center one more time. And, and, you know, because that's what get, also, got you recognition and that's what we, we would like. <laughs> so, yeah. Absolutely.
2: Totally. I want to to piggyback on that just very briefly as we wrap up. I, and I think it's the right note to end on, which is, um, you know, when you're at that place in your career, take risks, mm-hmm. have fun. Like re- remember what it was about filmmaking that you loved in the first place. Like when I read all these interviews with these, you know, most of them, unfortunately are men, but hopefully they will be women as we move forward. But, you know, a lot of these guys just being like, it just they become complacent you know what i mean you have to find something that lights that fire for you and that's why i feel like you know the hobbit movies just must have been such a draining experience in so many ways for him that i just kind of wish that you know listen Ramy talks about the oz movie not being much fun either mm-hmm. um but I, I do think that it's just it's it is interesting um, when you're at the top of the mountain, you know, you gotta find new mountains, but also just like remember why you climbed the hill in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And that's one thing I will say is why I have undying respect for the Wachowski's is because they just sure. made like they just made whatever weird stuff they wanted like for years, for like a decade and a half, and only recently one of them came back to the Matrix, but they were like even, like, I Speed Racer, like, I've talked about this plenty of times, is one of my favorite movies ever, and I know a lot of people don't like it, and I get it's why. I awesome. love it. It's great. Right? And, and, and like, even, like, movies that I, like, Jupiter Ascending, I'm like, that's not a great movie, but, man, like, they were clearly having fun with it. And as long as you can just, d- like, do what you're passionate about, you know, like, I'm all for it, you know?
2: I, I couldn't agree more. I think that I, I think that 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 all filmmakers should take, take note of what the Wachowskis do. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, they've proven themselves every time that they put a movie out, and everyone's like, "I don't get it." And then ten years later, they're like, "Oh, right, it was a masterpiece, and I was an idiot, and they didn't understand it back <laughs> ten years ago." Um, and and I, I think that you know we should stop coddling audiences, and and I, I think they're smarter than we think. Um, and I just I don't know. I just think that. A good story. And, and I know that it's money and I know that it's scary and that there's careers are on the line and it's, and it's, it's a, it's a nerve wracking endeavor, but you know, if you, you want your stuff to last, you want your stuff to still be talked about in 20, 30, 40 years, you got to take risks. Otherwise, like these things just become forgettable. You know, and I, I appreciate that you guys do this podcast, because I think that this podcast, it seems as though it's its modus operandi is shining a light on movies that that haven't been seen and making sure that people know about these great things that are out there. Um, and, you know, I think that, that more people should take note of that. Um, not just your podcast, but I think that the films, the films themselves as well.
1: No, absolutely, um, that, that's
2: podcast, that's why we do it. Man. The podcast that's would why be we do very, it.
0: very, very nice. You know, we, we're very <laughs> appreciative if it's the podcast, but the movie—it's all about cinema, of course—the <laughs> <of> course. <laughs> cinema. Sure, sure, sure.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, the yeah,
2: it's you know. It's it's just it's 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 a risky endeavor, but like it's worth the risk. It's worth taking the it's worth taking the shot. It's worth taking the swing more times than not. Um, but that's that's uh, you know, great movies. Don't worry so much about whether or not they're loved in the moment that they come out.
1: Yeah,
2: I, and I, I'll just say one last thing. You know, um, Nicole Kidman actually said this recently in an interview that I watched with her and uh, and Kristen Stewart when they were doing their whole Oscar, you know, campaigns and what have you. And she talked about how. Um, She hates the fact that films are based on their opening weekend. She's like, I've made all kinds of films. She's talked about this film Birth that she made, which is a great movie that came out uh, in the mid 2000s. And she's like, that movie didn't do well at all. And I still have people talking to me about that movie. Like it's, it's gotta be about the long tail. It can't be about just when it comes out because great art isn't necessarily great in the moment that it comes
3: out. Yeah. And it's also the factor of word of mouth as well, you know, You, you, people see it, a few people see it opening night, but then, or or opening weekend, I mean, and, but then those people, you know, pass it on if, if it's that kind of movie, which, you know, they pass on and talk about it to the next person, the next person. And then it's just like, it's like exponential growth, you know, it could be like that too, as well. Totally. Mm -hmm.
2: And I think that, you know, listen, I worked at video stores through, through, you know, most of my adolescence in film school um, and those don't exist anymore, unfortunately. (laughs) Um, But like, that's, No, that used to be a great way for people to learn about movies, right? They'd go to the video store and they'd ask the video store clerk, what do you recommend? Or they'd look at, you know, whatever the case might be. Um, Lots of movies that became hits on video that that didn't become hits in theaters. Um, It it still exists. You can still rent movies. Most people don't. But still, like, you you still can. And I think that we, one of the great things about social media is being able to get out there and, and, and bang the drum for this movie that you love that people haven't seen or isn't doing well in the theaters or whatever the case might be. So we just all have to keep you know banging the drum for movies that we love, even if uh, even if they're smaller yeah, movies.
1: And, and like you said, mm-hmm. Phil, that's kind of that's kind of our whole deal here on, on Underrated. Oh no, so like, yeah, absolutely. Like there's cause, the, the, especially for me personally, I'm just always like, there's so many movies. I'm just like, why hasn't anyone seen Eddie the Eagle? Let me talk about it. How can I do that? Oh wait, there's this <laughs> platform that exists where I can go and talk with my friends about it. So, yeah, yeah, exactly, man. That Thank you. Um, but, yeah, I Absolutely. I guess uh, that about does it. Phil, um, you know, you obviously have your own podcast, a podcast like It's 1999. Why don't Could you do. let the good people know about that and where they can find it?
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I have a podcast with a fellow TV writer, um, Kenny Nybart and I. It's called Podcast Like It's 1999, where we've been exploring every single theatrical release film of 1999, including... Television and straight to video, and we've been doing it for four and a half years now. This will be the last year as we wrap up nineteen ninety nine. But uh, but again, it's 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 a it was a seminal year for a bunch of reasons. Mm-hmm. But it's all the things that we've been talking about, which is you know independent and and American filmmakers, foreign filmmakers. It was the cusp of the millennium, and it felt like everyone was just ready to take crazy swings and do great movies and do wonderful things. And you know we've talked about everything from *Talented Mr. Ripley* to *Election* to audition, Ooh, um, Fight issue. Club, you know, we just did, recently did a Fight Club episode with uh, Karen Kasuma and we talked with her about, about the making of, of that film and, and, and how it spoke to her back in 1999 and how it affected her filmmaking. Um, you know, we've, we've had lots of great episodes uh, with lots of great guests and uh, we also have a Patreon uh, where we've been talking about the films of 1989 and then we just wrapped that up and we're now doing the films of 2009. Um, so you can you can find our Patreon at www.podcastlikeits Sorry, www.patreon backslash podcastlikeits. Uh, so that's where you can find that. You can find me and our podcast on Twitter at uh, podcastlikeits or my Twitter is pmisco. Um, but yeah, Check us out. I think you'll enjoy it. If you like this podcast, I imagine you will like ours as well.
1: Yeah, I can I can definitely vouch for that. It's a great podcast. And I will say, <laughs> interestingly enough, what we were kind of talking about, how over time, you know, movies do get these different reputations and how a lot of those movies from 99 have grown. The rep- like, I was listening to your Oscar episode and just like, these are the movies that got nominated for Best Picture in 99, one of the best movie years ever. And it's like, you know what's great? What's better than The Matrix? The Cider House Rules. Okay, just like... <laughs> That's that's the thing, right? Where it's like that Oscar year where you're just like, you're telling me the
2: Green Mile was better than Magnolia, <laughs> for instance? Like, it's just like, it, it just isn't. Really? Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it, time time will tell. Things are, I mean, and this is not to get into a whole Oscar thing, but you know, time is the is the ultimate arbiter right mm-hmm. it's the one that shows whether your movie can test stand the test of time or your tv show can stand the test of time and this podcast that we've been doing that kenny and i have been doing has been uh, has been not just a lot of fun but also a great learning experience and being able to see why films uh hold up you know and why these why that year uh was this weird sort
0: of lightning uh in a bottle it was it was it was really special yeah yeah good absolutely. things real fast uh, phil mm-hmm. yeah, of course one well two questions when you guys do <laughs> batman 89 can you give me a call we or <laughs> <laughs> right, let's get to where
2: we, we unfortunately did oh. it, already, and we had uh we had karina longworth on for it so awesome. um she, she it was a great episode <laughs> uh and she was a uh, no offense to you no worries. um but uh but we did do we did do that that was our last episode of the 1989 patreon but it was
0: uh it was a really special one so you should check it out sometime. I think you'll enjoy I absolutely it. Absolutely, will. And uh, second question: It's it's. I, I, you, I know you guys focus on 1999, and I've mm. I, I I've asked people this, and and it's such a weird thing, but and it kind of does relate to Michael J. Fox. And I remember, you know, he was on Spin City, and I remember watching it way even as a kid. And then there was when he was diagnosed with um, Parkinson's, and I remember there was like a special yeah. about it. Like it was like kind of like his farewell from Spin City right before they got a uh, Charlie Sheen, and I distinctly want remember watching that special. I don't know if you ever remember it or maybe, maybe you guys might have covered it. I'm not sure, but. Yeah, I mean, I
2: I didn't know that it was in '99, but that that does make sense. Um, you know, we we've been trying to cover as much TV as we can from '99. Um, Kenny, my co-host, has four kids, so his bandwidth is is a little bit more narrow than mine is. Um, so I try to cover the television stuff as much as I can. Um, but that that's a, that is a really interesting thing that I'll that I'll look into. I mean, I've done some miniseries. We did one on uh, Felicity, Sex and the City, Freaks and Geeks, West Wing. We're going to be doing one on. Uh, the Sopranos, which uh, aired its first season in 1999, so we'll we'll be doing that uh, near the end of this year as well. But but yeah, I mean, uh, Spin City was huge in 99, yeah, so I, I, I certainly will uh, look into that for sure. Yeah, no,
0: it was just, there was this like weird thing that they mentioned. I don't know if it came out in 99, but I just remember, I was watching it at the time, and they mentioned that Michael J. Fox did stunts for fun, and that they thought that uh-huh. that was part of what, made him get like Parkinson's like they kind of blame the the scene in Back to the Future Part 3 where like he gets uh, hanged for a moment and then he gets dragged
2: yeah they were
1: they talked about
0: yeah. and then they also yeah. mentioned that he used to do like stunts for fun like I remember seeing this image of him uh, like he was wearing like a I don't know if he was like wearing his suit from like Spin City and then he was like getting pushed into like a river with like another dude and like they're just on like office chairs and, and I remember that image so vividly and I remember asking people about it because they said this is part of why. They mentioned the Back to the Future Part 3 and that. Yeah. So I always wondered about it. So I just wanted to throw it out there.
2: Yeah, no, for sure. I, You know, it's interesting. And I'm just looking here. His last episodes were in May of 2000. So oh, okay. Right on <laughs>
0: Dang. But,
2: but I'll just say this. Um, I have read those those rumors. And, you know, so much, unfortunately, is we still don't know about Parkinson's. And I don't think that Michael J. Fox subscribes to you know the notions that uh, that any of these roles were were the mm-hmm. reason behind it, um, but it is uh, it certainly is interesting, and it certainly is. I mean, I, I, as just for what it's worth here, two things as I'm looking at these last episodes yes. of Michael J. Fox's on Spin City. The first is that the last one was written by Bill Lawrence. <laughs> oh, because, Scrubs. Uh, <laughs> so you know, I, I just a, a slightly uh, successful. Guy. <laughs> uh, and the second is, is uh, that 32 million people watched the episode. Oh, so wow. that into consideration. That was a, a very different time in television when 32 million people live showed up. Showed up. <laughs> yeah. so, uh, it's a different uh, different time. But yeah, yeah. So yeah. there you go.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate it. I just was like... I need- of course, of course. And, and thank you guys. Yeah,
1: yeah. We're, we're yeah, excited thanks. to have you on. Um, definitely, obviously, you know, had a lot of great conversations about, you know, not just the film, but just kind of all the things that sprung from it. Um, but yeah uh, anybody out there who's listening definitely you know if you want to check out anything else we've done we've got a whole back catalog of episodes and stuff Um, check us out on all our social media at undercast company Um, we've also got a patreon uh, so patreon.com slash undercast company so check us out there Uh, we've got tiers as low as a dollar a month and get all kinds of bonus episodes we're always trying to kick up uh, cook up more things we've got a couple other podcasts that we do as well uh, Ariel's got her You've Never Seen podcast where she introduces me or me or, Alan, or sometimes she gets introduced to a new uh, well, a movie that we really should have seen by this point. Um, I'm working on season two for my TV podcast, Gateway Episodes. And then in, whenever there's a new Marvel thing, I also do um, a sort of a side podcast called Infinity Stones and Dragon Bones. So if you guys want to hear more of us, first check, out, first check out podcasts like it's 1999, then check out one of those um but yeah uh yeah i mean uh i listen i this has been an absolute blast i
2: really appreciate you guys having me on to talk about this movie um a movie that uh yet yeah, does not fall within the purview of our podcast so it was an opportunity for me to to talk about a movie that uh that more people should see um it's uh i don't think it's actually streaming anywhere right now unfortunately yeah. you have to yeah. Yeah. it. but uh but they got uh, my three dollars yeah, going to say, it's worth the $3. Bucks, yeah. absolutely, no, absolutely. I was just
3: surprised yeah. that I didn't own it. But yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so you oh, thank you again. All right. Good night, everybody. Thank
0: you so much, Phil. All we right, appreciate man. it. Thank
1: you so much, guys. It was Hi, a
3: blast.
0: Thank you. Take it easy, everybody. Have a good night. Have a good one. Thanks for being amazing.
3: <laughs>